for so very long, it's been... Go on, George. Tell how it's gonna be. But in the end, the commission only said... We figured it 17 different ways. And every time we figured, it was no good. Because no matter how we figured it... But no matter how you figure it out, I still don't get as much as anybody else. Somebody don't like the way we figured it. So now, there's only one way to figure it. And that is every man for himself. When this is the end. It's the end of the world. It's the end of the world as we know it. Or is it now? As a new year hits, through it all, Beaver Nation moves ahead with resiliency and hope. Sun's up. Mm-hmm. Looks okay. The world survives into another day. And the way forward goes through, as it must, The Joe Beaver Show with John Warren and Mike Parker. The number of times I heard these guys' voices over and over and over. Still can't find it. Ah, can't find it? We can help. This is 1240. 1240. It's always been 1240. My client says it's 1240. Yeah, plus 93.7 FM and streaming live at com and on the KEJO app. It's the Joe Beaver Show. Yes, it is. And here we go. As we start a brand new day on this Thursday, the weekend is almost here. I'm John Warren along with Mike Parker, T.J. Mathewson uh, down the hallway after uh, gathering a bunch of uh, audio for us in baseball yesterday. Hopefully we'll get to uh, some of that. But uh, it's a brand new day. Well, um, I guess that uh, Michigan fan is going to have to go through what... uh, what Washington fan has gone through, what uh, Oregon State fan has gone through, and uh, Arizona fan. (laughs) I mean, we're talking some musical chairs in college football coaching like no other year, it seems, and at the highest level, of course, with with the Alabama job uh, coming open. But now, Harbaugh goes to the Chargers, and Michigan fan has to wonder, hmm, who's left? This morning on Twitter, as I was conducting a different program on a different frequency, the Clue Morning Update on 1340 Clue AM, just perusing, perusing the Twitter sphere and checking things out. You always make sure there isn't any any news that you miss because oftentimes on social media, stories will break. And uh, there was someone, uh, it was a nobody, I don't know who it was, it was not a member of the regular media. In looking at his profile, he uh, he had about, I don't know, 290 followers and, and real smarmy uh, sayings about his on his profile about being smarter than everyone, but that's it. So this guy floats, and he uses the, the, the term breaking in capital letters, breaking. Jed Fish to Michigan. He was, has been in talks with them for a while, and he's been their number one and only choice. But all of the uh, answers below, and this was from yesterday, I think, um, people were just going off, just attacking him. Nice troll job. Uh, you, good job, buddy. You own the internet today. And I mean, not a single person bought it, not a single person bought it. And I just thought it was funny because it is a good example how someone, just anyone can put out anything on Twitter or X, make it look like it's legit. And it is a, as a real deal and, uh, and, and set the world afire. But <laughs> anyway, I thought that was kind of funny, but nobody bit, which is, which is even better. But you do have to wonder, well, okay, how, how's the coaching shift going to happen now? Because the defending national champions have to find a head coach. Can you imagine? You're up for coaching the defending national champions in a program that 
Jim Harbaugh has built just wonderfully throughout the last, what has it been, 13 years, something like that, uh, or nine years, nine years. Anyway, he's just done a tremendous job. So that's in the news today, uh, Harbaugh to the Chargers and a few other things. Speaking of media, um, Wilner, I don't know if you subscribe, but find somebody who does or pay the money. He has a really good article. Uh, I don't know when it came out, but I saw it today. And it's about, um, in fact, I saw it on OregonLive.com because I actually pay money and subscribe to Oregon Live. So whenever they run Wilner stuff, I get past the paywall. But uh, here's the lead to it. Oregon State and Washington State have played an awful hand perfectly in the five months since they were cast adrift. If if the uh, landscape liquefies, they'll be ready. And he goes on to explain a lot of a lot of different things. One thing that was interesting, and he had a couple of quotes from uh, industry insiders that he said were not affiliated with either the Beavers or the Cougars, who respectfully said that you know, boy, you know, given what what happened to them, given what they had to deal with, and the hand that they had to play, they pulled it off brilliantly, and are in a really good position. Another thing that Wilner laid out, and again, I, I, I highly recommend the article, was um, him kind of pointing out that the Beavers and Cougars did a good job. Scott Barnes and his counterparts did a really good job of triaging the, the moment and even a little bit of the next two, well, the two, next two years. <coughs> but not moving further on that. Now, I've always said year three, and I've dubbed it year three, because year three means the first year after the grace period expires, kind of where you're going permanently, no longer this temporary stuff. Now, what's temporary is a football workings with the Mountain West and uh, sports workings with the West Coast Conference. And we had Stu Jackson on, the commissioner of the West Coast Conference. He's very well aware that it's a two-year deal. He's not uh, getting any kind of hopes up for anything beyond that, and that for these two years, the relationship works. That is fantastic. Because it seems like, you know, the Cougars and Beavers are kind of using them. <laughs> but it, it's, it works for both parties. Okay, so we had Stu Jackson on. He said that. And by the way, you can go back and listen to that interview on the podcast uh, at kejoam.com. But I've always dubbed, okay, now that everything's been kind of put in place, we can take a sigh of, you know, a, a, a deep breath. But what happens in year three? So it's good, according to Willard, that they haven't really made any plans for year three because you want to wait it out and see what happens with all the different conferences and the different teams. And, uh, and so that's the situation there. Really very interesting in that respect. One other issue, and by the way, the lay of the land today, Kim Hoover will join us here in about eight minutes. She's the daughter of, um, of Ann Harper, and Ann Harper will be... Um, will be honored Saturday at the basketball game against Arizona State, along with several other people on Saturday. It's, the, um, it's uh, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. The final four team of 63, which we have been working with guests so far this week on that, they'll be honored at the same time. And if I remember this right, and I wrote it down, tonight new uniforms for the basketball team will be teased, and they'll be used on Saturday. And, of course, Ann Harper, who was with Ralph Miller for all those years and worked at Oregon State and uh, 
in an executive position of, of support, and everybody loved Ann. And Ann's turning 95, so that's a big deal. Kim Hoover will join us to talk about her mom and her father, Bill Harper, longtime um, standout uh, coach and member of Major League Baseball scouting right here in our own, our own uh, Mid-Valley. So she'll talk about uh, her parents coming up at 1120. A little bit later on, members of the Albany Civic Theater will be here, and I'll let Mike explain that. <laughs> Ray Bloom at 12:20 and then Dominica. Okay, I was about to say Dominica. I know. And that's not right. It's Dominica for a cova. Dominica's it will join us at about 12:45 to close How the show. How many rebounders knew that? Much less average well, Beaver fan. Uh, uh, and I'm going to double and triple check before she comes on with Andrew Goodwin who handles the communications releases and the, the old-fashioned name, the publicity person and agent for the team, but handling all of the releases and communicative yeah. efforts. <clears throat> and I think I asked him three or four times when I said, hey, could we get uh, Dominique on the show? He, you mean Dominica? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that's who I do mean. No one told me, and I called one of their games this year. And so and she had I think it is Dominica Parova joining us, Parova joining us at 1245 from the Czech Republic who had her huge breakout game and that tremendous win for the Beavers against Cal Isn't last it Friday. It could be. Yeah. Well, anyway, we'll check with yeah, that. Yeah, it's like introducing as a guy went over and over. The Dodgers had a rookie of the year named Grabarkowitz, Billy Grabarkowitz, Grabarkowitz, Grabarkowitz. And the MC, Grabarkowitz, Grabarkowitz, practicing for Billy Grabarkowitz, the rookie of the year. Billy Grabarkowitz, Grabarkowitz, Grabarkowitz. When he got up, he said, ladies and gentlemen, the National League Rookie of the Year, Bobby Grabarkowitz. <laughs> so he got the last name right, but called him Bobby instead of Billy Grabarkowitz. One of my early heroes in life. Oh, uh, you're right. It's Parova. Okay, I thought so. But you know, Dominica Parova. Yeah. I, I called her Dominica when she played. Okay. <laughs> as as Saint James says, we all stumble in many ways, and we do every day, every moment as we breathe. Good morning, everybody, and welcome into the Joe Beaver Show. John has given you the lay of the land. I'm really excited about the variety of guests. When you said, I'll explain. Our guess, it's a bit of a community service mm. function on our mm -hmm. part because mm -hmm. it's a community event. <clears throat> well, we're charged with doing things like this because we're the only live programming outside of play-by-play -play on this frequency. The Albany Civic Theater. Now, some might say, and you would be right. <laughs> it, it reminds me of all the great lines in... Glen Gary, every line meticulously crafted by David Mamet. They're all good in their own way. Ed Harris says, if I brought that kind of stuff in here, you'd harbor it, and you'd be right. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm about to say, if you say to me, Albany Civic Theater, well, you've never had anybody on before, well, you'd be right. We haven't. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. Why are you doing it now? Well... I, I have a little interest in it. I've helped build the set. My wife upholstered the chairs that you'll see in the set. We've had well, some investment in it. Really? Some I didn't know you were that involved. In it. And my daughter plays Jordan Baker, the golfer. So there's your athletic connection, uh, your sports <laughs> connection. Jordan Baker, the golfer. Tom is described, of course, as the athlete in the rugby, you know, the, the great the polo player and reached such a level of excellence, one of Gat, uh, Fitzgerald's best lines ever. 
Tom reached a level of excellence, experienced a level of excellence by the age of 22 that everything in his life savored of anticlimax thereafter. <laughs> how true, how true and painful that can often be. So anyway, but the, the local director, Laurieann Schmidt, and the playwright, a 22-year-old, and we, we use, love to use the word wunderkind because she is, she's a graduate of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, the distinguished acting school in New York that Robert Redford and others have come through. Mm. She's an alumna of it. And she wrote this play, an adaptation of the source material, The Great Gatsby, which went into the public domain and thus can be treated in ways that it hasn't heretofore been able to. And this Portland, young, talented woman who's taken her talents from Portland to the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. She's acting there. She's writing there. She's coming out here from New York for the world premiere of her adaptation of The Great Gatsby, first ever performance of it Friday night at the Albany Civic Theater. So Laurieann and Mav Zay O'Connor will be here. Mav, uh, Maeve, pardon me, not Mav, it looks. Maeve Z. O'Connor is the playwright, 22 years of age. They're both going to be in studio for a few minutes later in the hour. Is her adaptation going to play in New York anyway? Well, it, it depends. You know what I'm saying? This is the world premiere and things like that. If there, if there are good notices, a sense of, oh, a buzz, review, that was well done. Oh, we like that. Somebody's got to kind of take notice. Is anybody I, like Guffman going to be coming well, out to see? Well, that's a good question. Are that's they waiting a, for <laughs> Guffman? waiting for him to arrive. But whether or not that <laughs> happens, if it is good enough and the, and the adaptation is considered unique enough and, and, and well-received, then it has a chance, as you say, to be sort of taken out and taken well, over it, the land. it should. I mean, if it's, yeah, it should. We'll see. I mean, I'm excited. to. I visited with both of them briefly yesterday as I was delivering chairs to the theater <laughs> <laughs> in downtown Albany. We hope you're making plans. But we're cut, trying to cover everything this week. It's been, a, it's been an active, fun, and busy week. We'll have tomorrow, I think we're going to take a deep breath a little bit. Mark Radford will join us. And your comment about Wilner. It's been a long time since John has been on. But I love the tenor of the article you just referenced to, that John and others have recognized that the Beavers and Cougs just didn't simply go Dennis Dodd's route. Yeah. When Dodd, after the, the implosion of the conference back in August, well, the Beavers and Cougs will soon be joining the Mountain West Conference. Mm -hmm. And he kept saying it, and others, well, they're soon about to be the about to be Mountain West Conference members. and you know, so Which was insulting and infuriating. It, it, it just, it bothered me. I like Dennis, but it just, it bothered me because we knew and felt like, nah, maybe, but don't say that on August 7th or mm -hmm. the 20th or even September 20th or October. This thing has played out with tremendous skill and counsel from counselors, from lawyers, from Alan, the Alan Thayers yeah. of his world, and his, the hand has been played, the tough hand has been played about as well as it can, according to Wilner and, expert, and industry experts. And you credit not only Scott Barnes, but you credit yeah. Jayatha Murthy yes. and the president, president of, Schultz. of Schultz of Washington State and uh, uh, Chun, the, yes. the athletic director. Over the, all four individuals did a great job. And the counsel that they received, the, the internal, external counsel who've done just an amazing job yeah. with it. Yeah. And um, so maybe we can get John on, but we can react to a lot of things in open phones tomorrow. Did you see, too, that um, the I, I only caught it by an article from uh, Nick Daschle that the football game on the 28th against Cal 
on the road has been pushed out to October 26th um, hmm. because, and this, this okay. you know, while we're no, saying I how great of a, that, while no. we're saying how great of a job they did, it's like, hmm, why would you nail mm-hmm. that down before the ACC had made their schedule? So the ACC came out with their football schedule yesterday, mm-hmm. and the ACC is requiring all of its rep, uh, its schools to have two buys in the year and a buy in September. So they had to put the 28th as Cal's buy. So same two teams, same game, just on the 26th. And so now Oregon State has that opening on the 28th to fill, or which which the Beavers are waiting for. I think three games against against uh, Mountain West teams to still to be scheduled because we're waiting on the Mountain West to come out with their okay. schedule. But it was only yesterday <clears throat> that the ACC came out with their schedule. Interesting. And that got me to thinking, because I saw that this morning, and I, that got me to thinking, hmm, okay, the ACC schedule is out. Let's take a look at Cal. And I don't have it in front of me, but okay. Cal has to go to Auburn because that's a payback on a, on a home-and-home. Home. One week they're ho- hosting Miami. The next week they're in Pitt. Then they're home. Then they're over to Syracuse. Then oh they're home. Then they're Oh, they start out. Their first league game is at Florida State. I mean, they are just constantly going yeah. over there. Oh, and then after it's all done and they play Stanford, their final game after the big game is a game in Dallas against SMU, a new member it's of the nice conference. It's a nice, easy road trip by comparison to everything wow. else. We'll take a break, come back with Kim Hoover as we continue to celebrate Ann Harper, who will be fated. I've all, I said fated my entire life, but uh, F-E-T-E-D, fated. She'll be honored, introduced, and properly honored. It still will, f- will fall, fall short of the impact on lives through the years as uh, part of the secretarial pool and then Ralph Miller's personal secretary for Ralph's entire run, then worked with Jimmy and with Eddie and and maybe even a first year or so with Richie. I can't quite remember the full timeline. But Ann Harper's daughter, Kim, joins us next as we get rolling today on the Joe Beaver Show on Joe Radio. Continuing on the Joe Beaver Show, Ray Bloom, Dominica Parova a little bit later, and a couple of special in-studio guests to help promote a big event this weekend and the next three weekends at the Albany Civic Theater, the world premiere of an adaptation of The Great Gatsby by a Portland-area playwright in town and a graduate of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences at the age of 22. It is a pleasure to welcome in as we have... We've been kind of going back and forth, John, this week, and it's been a real pleasure to do so between talking about the great... Slats Gill and his final four team from mm-hmm. 62-63 conversation with Jim Jarvis and Mel Counts. Frank Peters, I read, is coming along with Mel, along with Jim Jarvis, Steve Pauley, Gary Rossi, I believe, are all making the trip, maybe in a few others from that team this weekend. But at the same time, while we honor that, Saturday is also a day to pay tribute to a wonderful person in 95-year-old Ann Harper, Bill Harper's wife, and we've talked to uh, Bill McShane and others about Annie's life, and we have the honor of visiting with one of uh, Bill and Ann's two daughters, Kim Hoover, Sister Barb, also in the community, but Kim, an Oregon State graduate, grew up in in the same house that Ann lives in that was built in 1965 by Mm. Bob Gilder's dad. Nice. So this is a, a true local story with... 
I think the proper spirit of Oregon State basketball, which we're celebrating, the Final Four team and then the great run that Ann had mm -hmm. with Ralph and with uh, Jimmy and Eddie, and, and it is a pleasure to welcome Kim Hoover to the Joe Beaver Show, Bill and Ann, one of Bill and Ann's daughters. Kim, good morning. Thank you for taking time. How are you, and how have you sort of enjoyed the week and this whole idea that your mom is going to be celebrated this weekend? Oh, thanks, um, Mike and John, for having me on. This is great. Um, it's It's been a whirlwind, let me tell you. Um, this all came about just the 1st of January when I happened to run into Ray Bloom and his wife, Beverly, up at the country club having breakfast one Sunday morning. And we visited because we were uh, students here at Oregon State together. We were in the same class. And so... Uh, we had our breakfast and went our separate ways, and a couple nights later, I got a text message from Mark Radford, and um, he brought this idea and um, just wanted to uh, spend time on mom um, as opposed to doing, you know, like the whole coaching staff and the whole team and all of that kind of thing. So that's where it started, and it's just kind of evolved from there with, Bill McShane's help, and and uh, so I'm excited. I'm not sure who all will be there, but I've heard there's maybe 20 guys that are com coming back for this. So anyway, we're just really excited and honored and everything. So yeah, as well you should be, Kim. And there's several things I want to talk to you about. I'm not sure how the celebration and when she's going to be introduced, but I imagine these 20 players and so on, and you and and other family members and love. Are you going to kind of get to walk out on the court and, and Ann's going to get to wave? They're going to give a, a sense of uh, appreciation to her. Do you know how that's all going to look on Saturday? Yeah, I've heard that um, it's going to be during the halftime, or not during halftime, it's going to be during the timeout. Mm -hmm. uh, so it'll be a, a, a quick thing, but yes, they, they are going to have mom and my sister and I and my husband Jim come out onto the floor with the team, and uh, there will be a, a little presentation. Um, I don't want to spoil sure. the, the surprise. So a little presentation for Mom, and I she, she was nervous last night when I was talking with her, and I said, Mom, you don't have to say anything. You just have to stand there and wave at people. So yeah. they're not going to make you talk. And she said, okay, that, that, that settled her a little bit. But, yeah, so it'll be just a quick little thing, um, but very, very special to the family. So. And speaking of the family, I mean, you're, you're part of the Beaver family for, for a, a good long time. Not you yourself, but just within your parents and your, your father, Bill, the late great scout and basketball player and baseball player, a member of the Phillies Hall of Fame, Bill Harper, your mom, and what can you take us back a little bit to what you know about how they connected and the life you grew up in with, with Bill and Ann as your folks? Well, um, they both entered Oregon State uh, in 1946. Uh, Mom was born in Eugene and grew up on a family farm. She was one of four kids, uh, had a you know one-room schoolhouse situation, and then graduated from Harrisburg High School. And the story goes that she met Dad in a biology class um, at Oregon State, 
where you had to work with uh, in partners. And, of course, the instructors back at, at that time kind of placed the partners together, and it was by um, last names. And so dad being Harper and mom being Hayworth, they ended up being Ooh. placed together <laughs> as partners in this biology class. <laughs> And uh, it just kind of grew from there. They uh, married in 1949, and uh, Mom, I, I don't, she didn't ever earn her degree because she decided she needed to work, and um, she went to work at a local bank here in Corvallis as a teller and did that until uh, Dad graduated in 1951. And they moved to San Francisco, which is where my sister was born. She was born on the corner of Haight and Ashbury Street in <laughs> wow. 1951 wow. in San Francisco. A safer, and, time, um, a safer time to be born yeah. that year than maybe <laughs> in 1967. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And um, Dad was, he, after Oregon State basketball, he um, played one year for Stewart Chevrolet, in San Francisco in the National Industrial Basketball League. So hmm. that's that's how they ended up down there. And then came up to Roseburg in 1952, and Dad was uh, the head basketball coach at Roseburg High School as well as a PE teacher there. And he also was hired to be the head coach for Lockwood Motors American Legion baseball team in Roseburg. So that was um, 1952 to 1963. Uh, and then when um, Paul Valenti was hired as the men's basketball coach at Oregon State, he um, inquired as to whether Dad would like to come up and work on the Oregon State basketball staff. So we packed up and moved to Corvallis in 1963. And uh, we've all been here ever since. None of us have left. So, um, but he did that until Ralph came in in 1970. And he had been uh, doing part-time scout work for the Phillies Northwest Scout at the time. And it just so happened that that gentleman, I don't, I don't recall his name, but he passed away unexpectedly in 1970. And the Phillies didn't know anybody else out here as far as a person to replace him. And so they offered my dad the job in 1970. So that's how he ended up as a Philly scout. And he actually never fully retired. He, he retired from going to games and scouting, but the Phillies were gracious enough to allow him to, to continue on as, a, as a, an employee at some level. Mm, so. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's that story. That's that's a great um, story, Anne. Let me interrupt you. A quick quick question. You Kim. mentioned or Kim, sorry. You mentioned that um, that Paul summoned your dad. Did they have a previous relationship, or did he just say, "Hey, here's this hot rodder at Roseburg. I want him on my staff." <laughs> As to, to my knowledge, there was some previous relationship um, there uh, before that, and they had just kept in touch you know, over the years, and and, uh, and so that's how that came about. I don't think it was a, you know, just pull it out of the hat because this guy's, <laughs> you know, had some success. So, yeah. That's great. Kim Hoover joining us on the Joe Beaver Show. Just hearing you talk about the arc of life that 
that your mom and dad experienced almost an accident of the alphabet, but good for them, and here you are because their <laughs> names both, you know, pretty close, Hayward and Harper, and here you are. But, Kim, it's fascinating to me and beautiful that your mom, Anne, who will be honored Saturday, lives in the same house you grew up in that the Gilders built in 65. How, how's that all been going over the years? Well, you know, it, it, um, it's been going great. Uh, Ivan Gilder built one heck of a house, let me tell you. It, it was, it's, a, it's a brick and mortar, well, not brick and mortar, but, you know, it's very well constructed. It looks as good today as it did when we moved in in 1964, 65. So it's been been good. It's been home, um, you know, and and as mom has has aged and as dad aged, it was a great house for them, Uh, you know, easy to maneuver around in, only one level, not a lot of stairs. So it's... It's been nice to, to keep it in the family. Yeah, and the fact that your mom, 95 years young, is still living there on her own, that speaks so well of her and fascinating about her. One last thing about your dad, and who I know will enjoy this in some way in terms of, of his, his wife of, since 1949, I think you said. That's incredible. Yeah, what yeah. a great, loving, and wonderful relationship they had. But... His, his status with the Phillies, you said he never really retired, and it sounds as though the Phillies appreciated him, took good care of him, enshrined him in their Hall of Fame, and they should because he, he is known for many things, and great signings and a great eye and his commitment to this area of the world. But Ryan Sandberg is one of those guys you sign almost a once-in-a-lifetime type mm-hmm. thing, and I've talked to your dad a few times about that over the years. But what about his relationship with that organization from 1970 on, how special it was to him? He, it was a great, great um, opportunity for him. He absolutely loved it. All of our family vacations were centered around where's the next bat- baseball tournament going to be because I've got to go look for, you know, <laughs> potential players. And mm-hmm. so we spent time in Canada scouting up there, and, and I used to go with Dad. He'd take me over to the coast when there were teams playing over there, and I'd get to run the, the radar gun for him so he could write down, you know, the, the pitching mm-hmm. speeds and the time to first base speeds and those kinds of things. So it was, it was a special time for our, for our family. And when he signed Ryan Sandberg, that was, that was kind of the cream of the crop at the time. And, um, cause that was a very unexpected thing, uh, in his mind, as well as the Phillies, they just didn't think Ryan would sign. And so, um, but you know, dad was, he was always looking for the guy that wasn't the all-star mm-hmm. player um, and and trying to keep them uh, going in their um, endeavors in baseball and not to give up and, and those kinds of things. So yeah. it was it was very special. A tremendous person and baseball man. I, I so look forward to seeing him at the ballpark through the years and really was grateful to get to know him a little bit. What do you first remember about your experiences? I mean, it, the Beavers have been your entire life, but what do you first <laughs> remember? Do you have a game or two, a player or two, a team or two, et cetera, that comes to mind, Kim, when you think about your, your entire life within Oregon State Athletics? It was probably during Ralph's um, era because I was old enough to, you know, kind of pay attention to what was going on at that time. 
Um, but I, I thoroughly remember uh, the death of Mike Keck. That was <laughs> awful. Yeah. Um, uh, and as far as teens go, um, I, my, my recollections really start with the George Tucker, Lonnie Shelton, mm-hmm. um, that era of, of basketball um, where Ralph was so successful. And, and uh, I mean, we obviously we were at every game that year, every home game, and, and watched the, the beating of UCLA and how fun and exciting that was for the community mm-hmm. as well as the team. And, and um, so, and then obviously the 80-81 team holds a special uh, spot in our lives because that was our senior year in college. And, um, you know, just watching those guys and knowing them personally has always been a really fun thing. So, um any that you know yeah. it's it's um it's a lot of years to try and pick right. one for right. sure um but those are probably the most memorable for me yeah Kim does you how did your mom like working for Ralph She loved working for Ralph he was he was the quintessential gentleman to her um you know just very kind um very thoughtful um, he, I don't think he ever raised his voice at all, um, which some people, you know, really thought, well, how does that happen? Because he was so demonstrative <laughs> on the court, but, um, he was just a very, very nice man to work for. And she enjoyed her time thoroughly. And she enjoyed the players and the, she was the first person, Doug Blair's talked about her, but hey, Ray Bloom's going to talk about her a little bit later with us. But she was the person, the players would walk in to either meet with Jimmy or Ralph or whomever. Tell yeah. me a little bit about how, how much she enjoyed sort of that role, being <laughs> the first person you see when you walk into that office. Well, she, you know, she was kind of, especially for the kids, which they were all from out of town, but... She was kind of their their Corvallis mom, mm-hmm. and um, she would let them know if it was not a good time for uh, <laughs> to go in and talk to Ralph, or if it was a good time, or you know those kinds of things. She made them cookies every Sunday um, to have when Monday after practice when they would come in. Mm-hmm. Um, she sewed curtains for Steve Johnson's van. He wanted some <laughs> awful velvet purple <laughs> curtains in that in the van and she hand sewed these curtains for weeks um until her hands were sore because just you know trying to hand sew through velvet's not easy but um you know she edited their term papers for them she just kind of tried to take care of them in a you know in an appropriate way that she knew she wasn't going to get in trouble with the NCAA or something mm-hmm. like that. So um, they actually last night when I was visiting with her, she got a letter from Jay Losey in the mail. And Jay obviously wasn't a basketball player, but he was close to our family because he's my sister's uh, in, uh, brother-in-law. And she used to type papers for Jay, uh, type his term papers for him. And it was a, a letter of thanks for doing mm-hmm. all of that for him and helping mm-hmm. him get his degree. So, uh, you know, she she relished those times and uh, just very much 
enjoyed working with the kids. I am so yeah. glad she's going to get a moment. It, it will fall fall short, as I said. It's not. It doesn't meet everything that she's meant in the in the way she's touched lives. But I hope that she's excited. Even she, she shouldn't be too nervous. I hope she just soaks it in the love that she'll get oh, from the former uh, players and fans. Yeah, we're going to. We've uh, kind of organized a time before the game starts. Uh, Mitch Cannon was uh, nice enough to have his office at Gill open up before the game so that mom could have just a, a sit down with mm-hmm. the guys outside of the game time. So uh, that'll that'll be fun to, to visit with all those guys in one room. And Dominic's going to come and take pictures for us. Excellent. So, hey, yeah, so Kim? we've got a lot of. Yeah, that's yeah. that's beautiful. Last couple of things before we visit with okay. our in-studio guests from the Albany Civic Theater. An, an endeavor I know you support, a community-minded person, 31 years as a middle school teacher in the Mid-Valley, Sheldon and Linus Pauline Adams, taught at both high schools. So you you know the territory, and a community theater event is exciting, and I know you'll want to make room for that, and we'll do that here in a minute. But I've got two other things to ask you about. One is Mike Stevenson married to Jane uh, not, I'm sorry, the daughter of Jane Gill, uh, one of uh, Slats Gill uh, and Helen's kids, John and Jane, and Jane married Mike, and Mike is our Mike in Seattle, who's been a, just a tremendous correspondent for us over all these years. He said to personally thank you and remembered your mother in particular having, when Slats passed somewhat unexpectedly in 1966, that Anne was among others, and you could maybe tell us about the others who stepped in to really help take care of the family in that hour of need. Yeah, she, um, mom was uh, working in the athletic department in the secretarial pool at that time, and so she, she was kind of the secretary to all the coaches, as were the other uh, uh, ladies in that area. Um, when Slats passed, you know, she because dad had played for him and, and she knew the family very, very well, um, was made sure that she got over there to visit. Um, Helen was just a lovely, lovely lady. And she was the, the first lady of OSU basketball. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so mom helped her out with, you know, some family things. Um, Fifi Anderson and Fran Valenti played a big role in just helping the family through things at that time. Um, Mom would go over and visit, and she played gin rummy with um, the son, John, Mm -hmm. and uh, just to spend time and make sure that they knew that that they were cared for and and, uh, hadn't been forgotten. And so, anyway, um, just a really nice story that she relayed with me last night. But, um, yeah, so... You know, it's one of the things that that my dad always told me is that um, you know you can when if you go to college you can go wherever you want but you can't go forty miles south of here. Well, <laughs> 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 because he had you know as a player against Oregon yeah. and as a coach against Oregon that just was not an okay thing sure. for him. So I understand. So, um, but. Uh, so we always joked about that in the family, um, and and uh, so it's it's been great, and and we're just looking forward to Saturday, and uh, it's going to be a big weekend. I'm involved with the Diamond Dinner as well nice. as Dominic is, yes. and so 
you know, we've got that tomorrow night. And so it's going to be a great weekend for, for Beaver Nation and Beaver Sports. Kim, we're out of time. We'll talk about this next time we do this because I do want to talk about the phenomenon of signs in Gill and how you and Jim work the system and how Paul Valenti help you work the system. So all the signs that you see draped over in the photographs from those powerful days at Gill when students are camping out, you were able to bypass the camping out because of your connections to the department. We'll tell that story now that it can be told, but talk about the signs. I know that there's a tincture of sadness, certainly, in the hearts of many with Rob Holbrook's passing, but I do note that on osubeavers.com right now, you see Rob driving to the basket, and in the background are all those signs that you and Jim and others painted draping over Absolutely. the walls. So let's tell that story next time, Kim. Can we do that? We really appreciate your time today. Absolutely, Mike. It's been an honor. Thank you for having me. And congratulations to your mom and Ann, and we look forward to her being honored this Saturday at Gill. Thanks for taking time for us, Kim. We'll do it again soon. We come back with a couple of special in-studio guests, a community event, a world premiere in Albany tomorrow night. We'll talk about that next on Joe Radio. Michael? Yes? Did you know that I am a veteran of the theater? I did know that. You enjoyed plays in high school, That's right. I was actually in civic theater. Oh. Lake Oswego Community Theater, circa 1975. And I think Laurieann Schmidt knows that territory. She's the director of the world premiere of an adaptation of The Great Gatsby. We have both the director and the playwright here. But since you brought it up, Johnny, Laurieann <laughs> uh, Schmidt, the director of the play, which premieres tomorrow night and the start of a three-weekend run, you know that theater. Ann, I don't even remember the name of the play. They just needed a couple of kids. <laughs> you know so. that territory, Laurieann, by the I way? I do. I yeah. do, yeah. And uh, it's so exciting to be bringing this adaptation to Albany Civic Theater. It's such a privilege and uh, such a privilege to be working with such a great playwright. And we're going to meet Maeve Z here in a moment. Maeve Z O'Connor from Portland, but went and is a recent graduate a year ago from the esteemed American Academy of Arts and Sciences. But Laurieann, you commissioned her to do this once the, you said, once the great Gatsby went into the public domain. So tell us a little bit about the process and why you were so excited to, to create this opportunity. Well, the great Gatsby has been one of my favorite stories ever since I read it in high school. I think everybody's read mm -hmm. it in high school. And I wanted to create an adaptation that was more true to the book and also created the three-dimensional characters that I think F. Scott Fitzgerald really gave us in the text of the book. And so many of the uh, different, uh, you know, incarnations mm -hmm. of these various characters, they seem almost two-dimensional, driven by their choices and not having any kind of willing participation in their own lives. And I really wanted an adaptation that fleshed them out more and really gave them the kind of sensibilities that I think F. Scott Fitzgerald intended hmm. for them to have. And so the person you thought of to bring that to life is, is to your right, standing here in studio with us, Maeve Z. O'Connor, the playwright for this world premiere of this adaptation of the brilliant The Great Gatsby. Maeve Z., it's great to meet you. Thanks for coming down and joining us and for coming back from New York for this premiere. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you for having me. I'm just, I'm so, I'm always so touched to be able to see my work on stage. And although, you know, a, a large portion of this is 
F. Scott Fitzgerald's words, um, it is still, at least this version, my work, and I'm just always overjoyed, overjoyed to see it on its feet. Do you have any connection with the Pacific Northwest? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm from Portland, Oregon originally. Uh, I've lived in Salem, Oregon for a, a good couple of years at this point. I've, I've bounced around. Uh, wow. Nice. So, Mae, yeah. what did you do when you... Okay. Uh, Lorianne gives you this really exciting, I'm sure, thrilling idea, but also on, on, a, on a some level, it is the great novel by F. Scott Fitzgerald. So what did you do? What was your process to adapt it for these purposes? Well, the very first thing I did was sit down and read the book three times cover mm -hmm. to cover. Um, and I read it probably three more times over the writing <laughs> process. But originally I thought, okay, I don't want to know about the movies. I don't yeah. want to know about the straight-to-TV adaptation. I just want to know about the book. I want to know exactly what he wrote, and I want to move from there. So that was step one. So then, step two then, becomes what? Because I, <clears throat> I've gone through Lydia's lines. My daughter Lydia, by the way, why are you having these people in? Well, I'm excited for the community event and the world premiere. My daughter Lydia plays a very important character in the novel, Jordan Baker, Daisy's best friend. Tell me a little bit about your points of emphasis or what you discovered to try to fulfill the commission to flesh these characters out more. Sure. Um, well, we knew from the beginning that we wanted a faithful adaptation. You know, like we're not putting it in space. We're not putting it in the past. Well, any farther in the past. Uh, we're not doing any sort of like Shakespeare adaptation craziness. We are sticking to the era and the intent of the original piece. Um, and so within those confines, I was like, okay, how can we make this relevant? And the more that I read it, the more that I thought, we don't have to make anything relevant. This is already a very relevant story. Um, the Great Gatsby, to me, uh, has always been a story about privilege. Um, even just in this conflict between old money and new money and how Nick Carraway is this sort of, he's from an old money family, but he's, he's very poor compared to the other characters. And he still garners more respect than Gatsby, who is, you know, wealthier than God, but new money. <laughs> right. It's all about privilege. And, and Lorianne, how has it played out in terms of getting the script and how the actors, my own daughter and others have adapted to it? It's very familiar material, as Maeve saying. It, it is Fitzgerald's work, but it's been adapted for specific purposes. How have you liked working with the material and the actors performing it? Well, the material is outstanding to begin with, and we did workshop it in Beaverton with a group of my students, my drama students. And so I had already heard the work, uh, you know, through the voice because, you know, plays are nothing to be read. They're to be read out loud. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think we went through a couple of different versions and landed on this one, which is really tight and and just perfect for the stage. Maeve Z. O'Connor, the playwright for this adaptation, Lorianne Schmidt, the director for the play. The run begins tomorrow night, three weekends coming this weekend and the next two following. Maeve Z., you're coming out from New York for the premiere of your script. What else is happening for you right now? And what's kind of, I mean, you're 22 years of age and already a graduate of the great academy that I've referred to. You join, t tell, just tell our listeners a little bit some of the famous alums that have come out of that same program. Oh my gosh. Um, well, the alumni list is part of the, the big reason why I wanted to go there. You know, you see all of these kind of new wave schools that tout this idea of 
oh, we're cutting edge. It's, it's, we're going to teach you how to succeed in the industry. But none of their alumni have succeeded in the industry. <laughs> so um, I, I thought about the stars that I looked up to, and all of them are very much of a sort of older breed of actor. And so I chose the school that uh, produced Grace Kelly and Robert Redford, among other actors. That's a pretty good place to start. Yeah. You just named two pretty good uh, uh, members of that alumni of which you are now part. What else do you have going on back there? Uh, well, I'm always writing. I'm never not writing. I just had my New York playwright debut last summer wow. with the New York Theater Festival. Um, and that was a play called Someone Has to Die, which was a completely original work, not an adaptation. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. And how Thank did it you. go? How did you feel about it? Uh, I thought it went well. Um, I would love to get it up on its feet again, you know, always bigger, more up. Uh, what can we do? What can we fine tune? But I was happy with where we landed with it. And I was, as always, just so like grateful for the other people who came together to work on it. Because really, you know, without all of the other moving parts of the play and the, the actors and the team and the people that are involved, it's just words on a page. It's just me in my room in a book. <laughs> Last couple of minutes here today. We hope you'll get your tickets. Uh, and, and Laurie Ann Schmidt, you can tell us maybe a little bit about the link and the best way to do that, what shows are probably the best to try to hit. Now, I hope tomorrow night's going well mm -hmm. uh, for the opener. But the set, I've seen it firsthand, even helped a little bit, not a very little bit, but I want to ask first, Maeve Z, when you walked in and saw the set that Laurieann and company had constructed for a vit to fulfill the vision you had written about, what did you think? I was blown away. And actually, you know what really got to me is that I walked in backstage and I had to go through the room with all of the props and, you know, the costumes are to the side, but I had to walk through all of the props to get onto the stage. And I've written this stage direction um, quite cruelly <laughs> that says the stage is now covered in vases of flowers. <laughs> um, yeah. which is, is from the original novel. Uh, Fitzgerald says, uh, you know, at, at 12 o'clock or at 1 o'clock, a greenhouse arrived from Gatsby's. <laughs> right. um, and I walk in, and right in front of me, there's the greenhouse, just mm. piles and piles of these beautiful silk flowers. Nice. And as soon as I, th I saw that, I thought, okay, great. Mm -hmm. This is going to go just fine. <laughs> Laurie Ann Schmidt, the director, what about that? And how do you feel just about the look and the feel of this period piece, The Great Gatsby, that will be presented beginning tomorrow night? Well, I just love Art Deco. And we are build, building a, a, a world for the audience to really immerse themselves in this Art Deco excess all kinds of stylistic choices that make it really awesome. The best way, then, you know, I hope tickets are going well. I hope they get mm -hmm. the word of mouth will we get generated. We are almost sold out this weekend. Excellent. Okay, mm -hmm. so tell us more. How to get tickets, by the way. Get tickets at albanycivic.org, and there's a link right on that front page that says Get Tickets. And that helps. <laughs> that helps. And so we're running two more weekends beyond this one, and we're just thrilled. And they're streaming, right? Is there, there a is streaming there a link? There is a streaming link. You so, prefer people in the theater, of course. Any way to go beyond like we did yesterday? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> you could have told John, me that earlier. I know, I know. John Warren is running the board here and asking questions and doing a million different things. We're trying to create, rather than the hard out, we're improvising now, which I hope your actors... Okay, we're good now. Okay, thank you. we got a couple of minutes left. Ray Bloom coming up. Uh, Dominica Parova from the women's basketball team coming up. 
first year Czech Republic. Really looking forward to meeting her for the first time on the show and the legendary Ray Bloom this hour. But kind of wrapping things up with Laurie Ann Schmidt, the director of The Great Gatsby, and the playwright and the adaptation. It's been a real pleasure to get to meet and visit with both of you. But Laurie Ann, in terms of tickets, this link thing, you want people in the theater, but yes. those that just can't make it, what have you provided? We have a streaming option and it is $15 for an individual and 24 group so if you get a group of folks together and you want to watch it live on our streaming service you can okay. do that and that's also a great way to reach remote people because not yes. everybody can come uh, a couple of our actors have family parents even out of state and they're excited to Watch by streaming. It's a great idea. Hey, and Maeve Z, I want to thank you for coming out here. The place of community theater like this. I mean, you're back in the Big Apple in the big city making your mark, but I know you'll always, no matter what happens in your career, the place of local theater like this, how important is that in this world? I owe everything in my life to community theater and to local theater, to Albany Civic, to Pensacola, to Portland Playhouse, to Portland Center Stage, to all of these places that have helped create me and uplift me. And I don't think I would absolutely know anything about New York or where I was going or what I was doing there if I didn't start here. Well, congratulations, Maisie, on the, the world premiere of the adaptation of your work, adapting the great novel, The Great Gatsby. It's a pleasure to meet you. Good luck with the run and everything you've got going in New York. Laurieann, a real pleasure to get to know you through this process, and we look forward to a great three weeks. Thank you. Thank you Thanks, so much. Thanks, you guys. Laurieann Schmidt, Maisie O'Connor, the playwright Ray Bloom and uh, Dominica Parova coming up this hour on The Joe Beaver Show. 1240 Joe Radio welcomes you to The Joe Beaver Show, the only show on the electric radio dealing with life's greatest questions. How are the beavers doing this season? But with sympathy for life's hierarchy of needs. Will you go to lunch? Go to lunch. Will you go to lunch? Yes, please go to lunch. Take a long lunch. And join us as we ponder life's big question. How are the beavers doing this season? Groucho is in. This is the last hat of its kind. The beavers have stopped making them. They're all out playing football. Feels. He's in. What's out of beavers, town? And you, you're welcome in to the Joe Beaver Show, where we're not concerned with life's trifling questions. What do you know about life after death? But with visions of packed ten glory. You know how it's gonna be. And the inside scoop. Give it to me straight, Doc. So join the party. Let's make Joe famous. Sure, I'm willing. And now, here are your hosts, John. That's the word in the street, Johnny. Warren and Mike. I haven't dabbled in Kierkegaard. Parker, on the home of the Beavers, 1240 Joe Radio. Into the second hour of a busy week. I, I think we're going to be a little busy tomorrow, too, only just the way things sort of fall out as the week goes along. I do know Mark Radford tomorrow, and after that, don't know quite yet, but I'm going to make an effort on John Wilner to see if he yeah. will sum up his piece. I haven't even read it. You alluded to it. I haven't yeah. read it. The upshot, though, John, as we move into our second hour with Ray Bloom coming up shortly and Dominica Parova from the Oregon State women's basketball team both coming up this hour. The upshot was... A great look, and kudos to the Beavers and Coop. Yeah, do, doing a great job with a lousy poker hand, which was a, an analogy used in the article. Mm -hmm. The one, 
the one thing that kind of, I don't know, it stuck out with me was a quote, might have been two different ones, from insiders in the industry but not connected with Oregon State or Washington State giving props, saying, man, I'll tell you what, you know, from the outside looking in, those, those guys really played their hand well and did a great job with the lousy news that they kept getting over and over. That certainly warrants a conversation with yeah. John, perhaps, and well, if, if he can do it. <laughs> love to hear sort of him sum up his findings in gleaning that and posting a column that, in effect, says the Beavs and Cougs deserve, in yeah. a sense, the administration. But also, the, at the end of that, yeah. to, as part of the meaning, I think, that he wants, because yeah. it was part of the headline, is that if they, they've, they've positioned themselves... Like I said in the in the open, I'm personally thinking year three, year three. Don't tell me about tell me about year. Th- well, they've. <laughs> I mean, I'm irrational, immature, and want something now. Like a lot of us, as I'm told by my wife, and I just realize. Hold on, mm-hmm. it'll come to you. Whatever, which is good because uh, it's good that Wilner <laughs> in Wilner's article that it's basically saying, look, all of this stuff they handled very well. Did it did it exactly right and didn't 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 just give in. And all that, but one of the biggest aspects of of the success in all of this is not doing anything for year three, not looking beyond the two-year grace period, and waiting because there's so much that is going to happen. And then he chronicled all the things that are happening with the ACC and some other things. Um, And he even listed his bullet points, and I thought it was it was great because I wanted to remember he listed all the different things that could go wrong or could change between now and then. And several of the two of the bullet points had to do with this massive class action lawsuit that's going on out there. Right. Which we haven't talked a lot about. No, it has a name, but I don't I don't remember what it is. But he he kind of put that in there. So he gave props to the Beavers and the Cougars for for handling everything right, playing it well, being patient Mm -hmm. and stopping and 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 saying, let's just stop and wait and see what happens with uh, everybody else around us in the next two years. Because it, it was the easiest thing in the world for Dennis Dodd, who wasn't alone, right. and others to say, well, Pac-12 gone, no more. So Washington State and Oregon State will just become part of the Mountain West. I mean, you know, that, I, that just seemed to be, in many people's minds, that was what was going to yeah, happen. Yeah. And in some form, there's going to be, probably in a build back out, a strong Mountain West kind of flavor. But they didn't just say, oh, okay, I guess there's no place That's true. That's true. to go. And I, I credit, you know, the leadership for Oregon State and Washington State for doing that. But I think Beaver fan as a whole was with me and you and others saying, now, now hold on, with no disrespect, no disrespect to the West Coast or to the uh, Mountain West Conference, but we don't want to fall that far without saying that. You know what I mean? Saying, look, no, 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 no. we're better than that without saying we're better than that because you needed a relationship with them, which we got, without... But also, you wanted to tell the rest of the world, no, 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 we're we're better than that, without saying that, so that you cut ties and burn bridges with the Mountain West Conference. I think they played it brilliantly. We did the the complaining for them by saying on shows like this and message boards, heck, no, we're not going to do that. Not just as a a lot of people who just didn't have maybe vested interest in the Beavers or right. just looked at it from a well. All these, well, where are the, they might have said, where's that Oregon State and Washington State Right, just State an assumption go. that well, they'll go to the only like other conference, the right. only conference they could 
could take them right. and that is lower so that it would bring money to them in some way, shape, or form. A couple <laughs> of things before we break and come back with Ray Bloom. Ray, a high school teammate of the late Rob Holbrook, and mm. then a teammate at Oregon State with Rob. Even at that, Ray told me yesterday that there was a reclusive aspect to, to Rob's life and that he did have some connection, and Mark Radford will join us tomorrow. Mark may have been a little closer. Ray thinks the world of the Holbrook family, and he'll share that with us here in a few minutes. And In fact, it's Rob's dad, Bob, that essentially helped Ray become a beaver, and we'll talk, mm. we'll talk to Ray about that here in a moment. But before we visit with Ray and uh, Dominica Parova, I don't know how often in life you have been not so much surprised or stunned, maybe, or maybe even an element of hurt when you go to somebody expecting certain things and they tell you something else. And here's something <laughs> that hurt me the other day. <laughs> Happens every day. I called my old high school coach, and we, we talk often. Tom Phipps mm -hmm, and I talk mm -hmm. frequently. Love the man. He, play, he recruited by Jimmy out of Prosser. Played for Ralph, uh, played for Paul first, and then was on Ralph's first couple of teams. The whole Mike Keck tragedy that Kim Hoover alluded to. Tom went through all of that and knows that sad story very well. Tom and I've talked about it in, in, in the transition from Paul to, to Ralph. Tom was one of the toughest sons of guns I've ever known, and he believed that there's only one defense to play in the history of life, <laughs> and that's something called man-to-man -man or player-to-player, -player. but man-to-man -man defense is the defense God intended or Plato intended. What's up in heaven, basketball <laughs> defense, it wouldn't be you know, any it sort of zone. Not 1-3-1 one, one or a 2-3 or whatever. It would be man-to-man. -man. That's the platonic archetype of how you play the game, man-to-man. Yeah. -man. And a lot of teams in the 70s, you know, I, I think Mike Doherty, I don't know, I, but I just get a feel at Doherty, Knight, uh, Harder, they, the the it, Ralph played both. Ralph would yeah. play both, but his it was essentially man to man principles and stuff that Tom was inculcated with, and that he brought then as a young coach to Cottage Grove, and that's all we played, and we drilled, and we drilled, and we worked, and we worked, and so I've always thought that ball you man defense, yeah. and, you know, all of that. If you play it right, there's nothing better under the. Under the gym and under the sun. Yeah. Even though I respect mixing defenses, one three ones, two threes, man, Love it. where you mix it and you're getting teams. Oh my gosh, you're bringing Especially the ball Especially when up. somebody's drilling you from the outside. Exactly. So yeah, and they're, they're they're in. I called Phipps the other day, wanting to lament about yeah, a little bit, a little bit coming off our rough weekend that we had in the Mountain Schools, yeah. where there were some breakdowns defensively, and Wayne himself talked about. We, you know, we lost track of what we teach and the principles, mm -hmm. and our our guys weren't executing. Our stuff, I heard them all through the weekend saying, guys, our rules, everything we work on, our rules. Let's. I'm not sure the young people coming up and are as drilled as they come up in the game with their elite teams and mm -hmm. travel teams. Right, I think right. there could be a shortfall there yeah. in terms of how the game is taught and even man-to-man -man defense is taught. I'd like to see more of a premium on it. And I was calling to see if Tom, what Tom Phipps, I expected, oh, yeah, Park, it's, he says to me, he says... <laughs> He goes, Park, I, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about it and thinking about the way I taught no, you guys. No. If I was coaching now, I'd no. probably have you play a little more zone and a mix. 
and I almost talk. Your whole life. It, it just started to cry, right there in a phone call, driving, you know, through my Bluetooth. My That's Bluetooth. a say it ain't so exactly. Joe moment. Tom, he goes, well, you know, you, and he started saying the way you jumped to the ball and that. Can you get back to Clay Thompson in time? He said, <laughs> you might be able to park because you're a worker, but I'm not sure everybody can. <laughs> well, don't lower expectations. But it hurt me yeah. to hear him even waver and falter in those moments. I wanted him to say, man-to-man defense, and I'll, you know, I'll go around to every school in the country and I'll put those principles in. Not that these coaches don't know it. Yeah. They do. Our coaches know it. You Scott Ruick knows it. Colonel Jessup but with yeah, man-to-man defense. Yeah, you're darn right I did. Yes. Yeah, but who ordered the man-to-man? You're damn <laughs> right I did. I ordered it. Well, <laughs> Ruick plays both. Ruick used to be, and he's told me yeah. <laughs> that it hurt him. Scott said it hurt him a little bit to kind of catch up with the modern world because he grew up with that same kind of, yeah, we're going to man you up. And that's it. Well, but he plays a lot of zone now, too. I'm in agreement with you on tough, be tough and toughness yeah. and fundamentals and learn stuff and no excuses and playing man-to-man correctly. You don't chase your guy through the lane. No. You, you get on him and you turn around. So you got you got your all left you hand on him yeah. and you're looking at the guy with the ball with your right side. And you see both all the time. Yes. You never take your eye yeah. off the ball, but you never take your hand off the, defend, the guy you're defending. I digress. I love zone because I you know. can get killed by someone from the outside if you're if you if your yeah. guy who's supposed to be guarding him just won't get on him. And I I hate this idea of rotation stuff. So you either play straight up man or you play some kind of a zone where you're not rotating because this guy moved here. Well, if he goes here, then think of three things before that all happens within a half a second. Just get up there and defend. We'll talk to Ray Bloom a little bit about defense and other things. <laughs> many many other things with <laughs> one of the great. Basketball players of all time at Oregon State and a couple of the greatest teams that we still savor and cherish at OSU. 79, 80, 80, 81, the pride of Park Rose, Ray Bloom on those days and specifically Ann Harper, who will be honored as we talked about with Kim Hoover last hour. Ray Bloom next, Dominica Parova still to come. Thanks for joining us today on the Joe Beaver Show. The Joe Beaver Show continues. Mike Parker with John Warren. It has been a busy week, and it's not over. We've got a big game tonight with Arizona at 8. Women's basketball tomorrow. We'll preview that with Dominica Parova a little bit later this hour. But as we head down the stretch of the show today, I'm honored. We are honored to have our next guest, as we have had all week with Jim Jarvis and Mel Counts and Bill McShane and others. Mark Radford tomorrow. Kim Hoover talking about her mom, Ann Harper, who will be honored. Ray Bloom, one of the great players in the history of Oregon State Hoops and on two of the best teams ever in a great four-year run out of Park Rose High School. I know with a heavy heart, Ray and others who knew and played with Rob Holbrook, the celebration has been, in a sense, tempered somewhat because of that really stunning news. But it is an honor to welcome Ray Bloom to the Joe Beaver Show today. We'll see Ray with so many other former teammates and Beaver greats this weekend at Gill. Ray, it's great to have you on. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, Ray, thanks for joining us. Let's start first things first, though, with the passing of a friend and teammate uh, in Rob Holbrook, whom you knew very well growing up, maybe not as close in the in the later years, but when you have a bond as you did with Rob and his family, 
both of you at Park Rose, both of you coming to Oregon State together. I'm sure that news really stunned and had to hurt. Uh, Ray, what are your thoughts about Rob Holbrook? Oh, he was a good friend. I haven't seen him for a while, but um, in our younger days, we hung out quite a bit. It was a shock to hear from his dad and, and him passing. What kind of person was he in high school and then even in your years together? I've only heard great things from Andy and from others about him. What could you tell us about him as a person? As a person, he loved life. He just was a happy guy, and he loved playing basketball. That was what he lived for. And he became a great player. He did, as did you. What were your options, Ray, in terms of both of you coming together out of after playing for a legendary coach and Coach Woods at Park Rose to come to Oregon State? What, what was that process like for the two of you in terms of ending up here? How did that come about? Well, um, his dad brought me down to Oregon State for a uh, game with Rob. It was Oregon, Oregon State, and Lonnie Shelton was playing at the time. That was my first introduction to Oregon State, and eventually I met Coach Anderson. He recruited me and talked Ralph into taking a 6'4", big man out of high school to play for Oregon State, and that was a rough one. But um, in Robbie's case, he, he went on to win the championship his senior year, and he didn't get a scholarship from Oregon State, but he walked on and he got one. Yeah. He worked hard and he got one. He was a guy, Ray, from what I've been told, had a three-point line been in in his era, he would have cooked it up. I mean, what, what do you remember about his shooting ability and range? Well, when I was in high school, I'd drive by his house, and he'd be shooting hoops every day. And I never saw him do a layup on his driveway. He was always <laughs> long shot. And you're right. If we had three-point plays, I mean, three-pointer, he would uh, probably every one of his shots would have been a three-pointer. Mm-hmm. Ray Bloom, our guest, you said, okay, Jimmy Jimmy had to say, you believe that's true, that Jimmy sold you on Ralph because you didn't, you were a 6'4", but an inside player, not a perimeter, a wing player. How did the transition go, and did it take some selling on Jimmy's part to Ralph? Well, I can't imitate Ralph, but when he came to the school to visit me, he goes, I don't know what Jimmy's thinking. Get me here to talk to a 6'4 big man, which, which will never play in Pac-8. After that, I said, really, Coach Woods? That was my coach in yeah. high school. I said, Coach, do you really think I should go play there? Because you have no other options. Nobody's <laughs> offering you another scholarship. That, that's amazing. Hey, this is John. Did, did, he, did Ralph have a, have a wink and a smile with that, or was he just flat out saying, I don't, what am I doing looking at you? <laughs> uh, I think he was just giving kudos to Jimmy that Jimmy would talk him in to come and talk to me. <laughs> so I didn't find out for a couple of few days later that Ralph said, yeah, let's get him. <laughs> he must have, yeah, he saw something else in you too, but did, did that put you off a little bit? If you had a conversation with Coach Woods, you must have thought, eh, maybe not, but how yeah, well, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I did have a talk with Coach Woods, but he sent me straight. He goes, nobody else can knock on the door. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Ray, what happened when you got here then in terms of how you developed thus away from the basket, not a 6'4", big man anymore as you were at Park Rose. How did your career evolve from a position standpoint and style standpoint with the Beavers? Well, uh, Rob's dad, Bob Holbrook, he told me when we came down and watched the schools play, he said, hey, 
you can play at this this level. He goes, you got a jump shot out there. You can stand out there and shoot the jumper. So when I got there, I just had to work on my dribbling and watch Mark and those other guys play and eventually got it down, but it took a while. Hmm. But, Ray, it, it may have taken a while, but when I talk about you played on two of the greatest teams, I, I, it's hard for me <clears> – <throat> To think, I mean, when I think Oregon State basketball through the years, those teams, 79, 80, 80, 81 in particular, the way you caught, cut, passed, defended, all of that. Ray, I mean, I, do you even now, you were just going through it at the time. Did you know how special you guys were, how good you were? And as the years have gone by, do you appreciate it in a sense even more or not? Uh, at the time, it happened so fast that, you know, you're doing what the coaches are asking you to do and – you, you develop a really good team, and you know it's good. But down the road, you know, you still hear people talk about those two teams, and uh, I see people down at Oregon State probably haven't seen for 35 years, and they're recognizing and come up and say, hey, you guys should show up down here more often. It's nice to see you. So, yeah, it was it was special, and a lot of us guys still stick, stick together, get a hold of one, one another, you know, go out and do something. Well, when you were in, in I think it was 70 70- Eight, maybe 79, um, I was going to Ralph Miller basketball camp as a kid in junior high, and I knew of all of you guys, but I just thought it was funny there was somebody named Bobo. Do you remember your, your teammate Bobo Campbell? Yeah, we actually just connected with him uh, two or three months ago. Uh, we hadn't seen each other for 40-something years, and yeah, I know Bobo. Very cool. Is he doing well? Yeah, he's doing real well. He, his, his dad was in real estate now in I think it's San Francisco, and uh, he, he's a horse farmer and all that good stuff. He, he's done well for himself. It's good to hear. And that's the thing that all of you, you have a bond as you play, but it's an everlasting one. So even if you, you I don't know who found whom, but it was important, it sounded like, Ray, to connect with Bobo, a former teammate. You guys, do you feel like there's more of that happening later as the years go by, Mark? Roberto Nelson and others are trying to route Roberto on the current staff. Mark seems to really be taking the ball and the lead and yourself, Bill McShane and others. Why is this important to kind of rally kind of all of you guys together and how much is that happening these days? Uh, it used to happen uh, quite a few years ago we started it and then COVID came in and slowed it down. Uh, we're just picking up speed again. Uh, you know, Mark hadn't gone down there for quite a while. I, I think it's you know, he sees something that he wants to do for the future for Oregon State. So he's called all of us guys and starting to work with Roberto, and I think it's kind of kind of nice. Oh, it's great. It's it's wonderful to see you guys walk into the gym as so many of you did the other day when the Beavers beat USC. So I'm glad to hear there's going to be more of that, Ray. In terms of your connection to the university, you mentioned. Uh, the late, great Lonnie Shelton. When you came to a game and watched that Civil War game with, uh, you came down with Rob and came with Rob's father, uh, Bob Holbrook, what, what kind of impression did Lonnie and those teams, that team that Ralph had then, make on you in terms of, oh my gosh, this is pretty good hope? Well, you know, I was um, that was the first college game I've ever seen. I didn't watch it on TV or anything like mm-hmm. that, and you know, the guys were so much bigger, so much faster. Of course, they're playing Oregon, so it was a packed crowd. And, you know, Oregon State won, so it was uh, exciting. I still think about it. Lonnie was pretty good, wasn't he? 
Yeah, yeah, I've never seen a guy that big before. Yeah, what a force he was. Uh, Ray, last couple of things before we talk about um, Annie Harper, who will be honored Saturday, and you. You helped get that ball rolling, with, as Kim just told us when you saw her recently. Kind of got the ball rolling, so we're grateful for that. But I wondered, to get to the level, George Raveling has said, you were the best, not only best passing team that he ever saw, the best receiving team. So how did that all come about, the kind of drills and things you did to become that unit flowing so well, passing, cutting, catching with two, no bounce passes, et cetera? I mean, how, how did you guys get to that level of near perfection? I think what I would say, ABC basketball, very simple basketball, do as he tells you and execute. You know, he, he would tell other teams that we're going to full court press you, man-to-man if we miss. He tells those guys that, and the other team, I was like thinking back then, why are you telling them? But he knew if we did the things he asked us to do, it would work. And I think 90% of us bought into it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the other 10% are, and <laughs> I can't name names, but right. I'm just saying I know 10 of everybody doesn't yeah, do it. Sure. So, uh, Ralph, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, did, did Ralph ever tell you that you don't do a bounce pass because there are only two who can, Bob Cousy, and you're looking at the other one? Oh, no, no, I didn't hear that story. I didn't hear story. Yeah, Ralph said that. He, yeah. Hey, I was told by Tom Hewitt yesterday, he would open the gym, I think, at Warner Pacific or Concordia or whatever. He was telling me that when he would open a gym and you were young at your Oregon State career, you had a guy in a fast break open and you threw a, a hard bullet pass and went over his head. And the guy said... Ray, throw me the bounce pass. I can catch it on the run. And he said, you said, no, no, Ralph doesn't allow us to do it. Does that, does that sound like a true story to you? It probably was. You know, I bought in the program pretty hard. So. <laughs> yes, you did. And that meant, of course, Jimmy. And Jimmy recruited you. Jimmy, I, gosh, he's a fighter, huh? I mean, I, you know, I, how yeah. much does, does he mean to you, Jimmy and Fifi, and, his, and you sense he meant to all the guys in this program. Well, he was kind of like a father figure to a lot of us. You know, we watched him raise his kids, and, you know, they always had us over at their house, you know, if it was for a barbecue or something like that. Jimmy Jimmy is like a father. I mean, I, I don't know my father very well. I still don't. But Jimmy's always been there. If I need a phone call to somebody, I call Jimmy, and I... I've been going down there ever since I got back from overseas and go down there three or four weekends a year just to hang out with him. So love the guy, man. Mm, yeah, Good that's, guy. That's beautiful to know. And the other thing that's happening, too, at sort of your, <laughs> your inspiration, talking to, to your teammate and friend Mark, who will join us tomorrow, Mark Radford, but you ran into Kim and Jim at the Country Club, and the next thing we know, here we go, you called Mark Tell us, Ray, about how special it is to be part of a group together to honor the life of Ann Harper tomorrow, or Saturday, I should say, at Gill Coliseum, and what she meant to all of you guys. Well, she's like the team mom. You know, yeah. she, had all our, she had all our backs. But uh, running into Cam and Jim, I just called Mark up, said I was down there, I ran into them, and Annie's doing well, and I got the number. And uh, gave it to him, and he, he ran with it from then. I, I didn't have a suggestion. I just told her she's still there. 
And so he talked to Roberto. Roberto said, yeah, let me see what I can do. And here we are. Yeah. Saturday, honoring her. And she probably kept a lot of us out of trouble with Ralph. Because <laughs> we, we would we would start to come in the office, you know, just the BS or whatever. And she'd give you the look and, like, shake her head. No, this ain't a good time. <laughs> so, and, and she's always called us her boys. And I never figured it out until just recently that she has two girls. So she never had a son, so she mm-hmm. just used all of us as her, her sons over the years. Oh, that's great. Beautifully said. We appreciate it, Ray. We're going to talk to your friend and teammate, uh, Mark Radford, tomorrow to kind of wrap up what's been a, a week that we've, it, we've really enjoyed and been inspired by talking to get the likes of Jim Jarvis and Mel Counts. But your generation of player will finish with Mark tomorrow, Johnny. I, I just want to wrap up with one <laughs> final question from me, Ray. When – because – the team, the, the Final Four team of 63 will be honored on Saturday as well. How much did yep. you guys at the time know? You weren't that far removed, 15 years, let's say, um, you know, give or take. So how much of the, the history of the greatness of Slats and, and those teams uh, were you guys aware of as you were doing such special things? Well, we met all those guys years and years ago. We always appreciated them because they'd come down and say hi to us and stuff like that. But I really never knew how great their team was because I didn't, I wasn't there. I didn't mm-hmm. see it. But you know, now that they're talking about it and how far they made it, it's no wonder a lot of them went on to play basketball for a few more years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Mel for thirteen in the NBA, and he joined us yesterday and was a real had great stories to tell out of his time at uh, Marshfield and Coos Bay and with the Lakers the and Olympics the Celtics and playing with Wilt and Bill Russell. So the, the legacy is rich. Oregon State basketball, yeah. it's a rich legacy and tradition, and we're glad, Ray, that you're part of it and, and honored that you joined the show and look forward to seeing you and the guys this weekend. Thanks for making time again for us. We appreciate it, Ray. Okay, John, Mike, thank you. Thank you. See you Saturday. Great. The great Ray Blue. Yeah, that, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> I, I mean, love You could that. talk to these guys forever. I'd like to delve more into... You know, how many of these older guys do you know? Because the younger guys, the guys now, know and think highly of you guys. So it, it's, uh, as he said, they, they, didn't, they knew of some of the greatness, but not as much. So that's why I think it's great that uh, Roberto Nelson is getting yes. guys together. You talked to Roberto, didn't you, about yeah, that? Yeah, he loves it. He loves the, that part of the job and, and connecting with some of the older guys. And, you know, for a guy that was here 10 years ago or whatever it was, what was he, 12, 12 years ago here, Roberto? You know, he's learning all about the history of Oregon State basketball and, and the greatness of, of some of those players. I love that he, that he not only remembered, but has recently connected with Bobo Campbell. Yes. And I remember Bobo at, uh, at, at camp. He was one of those guys that was, you know, when you're, when you're 11 years old and a 20-year-old is a grown man. And, oh, sure. And they're a college player, and they, they give you even a, a smile, much less shoot some hoops with you for a couple of minutes. That makes a big, big impression, as we all know. And um, that was one thing that I remember and really appreciated during that those two camps in 78 and 79, as well as Jimmy Anderson. Jimmy Anderson ran those camps, but I'll yeah. give Ralph credit. He was there, right? and he oversaw many, quote-unquote, stations, if you will. Sure. It and, wasn't uh, just in name only. No, it the was Ralph not. Ralph Miller in, basketball camp featured some of Ralph. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And we stayed at Finley Hall, so we got the experience of being away from home. And meeting other kids, it mm-hmm. turns out that uh, uh, Steve Gowan, who or not Steve Gowan, but um, used to be uh, 
our boss at, at Learfield, I'm drawing a blank, it's mm-hmm. very embarrassing, but he and I, we had him on the show, in fact, we're at the same camp together, and we only realized it when I was in his Learfield office, and I looked at the wall, and it was a picture out in front of Gil Coliseum <laughs> from 1978. I said, I went to that camp. He goes, yeah. And we looked, oh, there I am. Nice. Oh, there I am. Nice. 40 years later. Yep. Yep. Unbelievable. Terry, what I, my favorite part, there were a lot of good stuff with what Ray said, but you know, imagine Ralph what am I doing here? <laughs> Jimmy, what did you bring me up to watch this 6'4 big man for? I don't know. Yeah, what am I going to do with him? Like you said, I think there was an element of Jimmy, Ralph, that's the beautiful thing of their relationship. Yeah. That Jimmy would find players that he knew would be great beavers. And time and after time Ralph after time. Ralph had to so trust Ralph it. had to trust that. So Jimmy with his vision, was able to say, okay, we're not going to throw the ball in him like we're going to throw it into Steve Johnson. Right, he's not going to play back to the basket. But just look at the way he moves, the athletic ability, his coachability, his body. Ray was a great (laughs) athlete. I thought he was a guard. He was. Okay, but well, not this, Park Rose, this story of, of right. he, Ralph he, looking at a big guy is new He was me. a post player, evidently. I mean, he wasn't per se a big guy. He was 6'4". Right, which is pretty good for high school, yes. but not for college. So, Ray, uh, I can just see how Ray went. I really want to go there after all. Terry Wood saying, it's your only option, kid. <laughs> yeah, you're going unless you want to walk on somewhere. And Ray <laughs> becomes part of the great, one of the, two of the greatest teams in Beaver history. One has to think. That if you're good enough to get offered or looked at by Oregon State, you could well almost go anywhere else you want, at least in this part of the country. You know that you yes, because if Jimmy found you and liked you, that should have that would have been the tip off. Yeah, kind of like Cal waiting exactly. to see who recruited. Mike Riley and the Mike Beaver Riley. Recruiting. All right, go. okay, give me their list, and now <laughs> go you recruit. Go recruit them. <laughs> give them offers. <laughs> well. <clears throat> Far from Park Rose's world, but someone who made a choice to come to Oregon State joins us next. Dominica Parova from the Czech Republic. A pleasure to meet her coming up next on the Joe Beaver Show. The Joe Beaver News on a busy Thursday. Mark Radford in some breathing room tomorrow in terms of open phones to react to the week, to react to tonight's game. Bill Walton himself in town, I think, Dave from Tumwater is going to get a chance to meet the big fella here a little bit later. I'm looking forward to visiting with Bill. And what in could be, in, in the shoot-around and what could be his final visit here. We yeah, hope not. It won't be. But it's, a been, it's been a busy and exciting week. We've appreciated all of the contributions, including that of Ray Bloom a few minutes ago. And now a pleasure to welcome to the show a huge weekend for the Oregon State women's basketball team. Gill's going to be hopping Thursday, tonight, tomorrow night. The Beavers in Colorado, the Beavers in Arizona State Saturday to honor the Final Four team and Ann Harper, and then Sunday afternoon, the Beavers in Utah. So it's a huge weekend. And going into the weekend off, great momentum. I, I listened to this game last Friday night and listened to Ron Callen calling the breakout game a career-high 16 in the Beavers rallying from 14 down to defeat Cal. All 16 of our next guest points came in the second half. Perfect shooting, six for six, two of two from three, two of two at the free throw line. She had she delivered her biggest performance in such an important time for her team in the Beavers rallying to beat Cal. Dominica Parova from the Czech Republic joins us on the show. Dominica, good afternoon. It's nice to meet you. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing great. We appreciate you joining us. It's a huge weekend coming, and I want to get to that in a moment. But tell us, please, your journey to Oregon State. From the Czech Republic, originally committing to Minnesota, a change of coaches leads you here. Could you tell us a little bit about how you ended up at Oregon State? Okay. So from Czech Republic, I went to the United States um, two and a half years ago, and I spent two years at high school um, in North Carolina and Florida. And then I committed to Minnesota, where the coach was uh, fired last summer, uh, last spring. So I decommitted, and then I went on a visit to Oregon State, and I loved it here. The atmosphere here was amazing, the family culture here. And so that's how I chose Oregon State. Dominica, when you came over, you go to Florida, then Minnesota, and then you end up out here. Have you, other than playing in games and traveling now, did you have any experience with any other part of our country? Um, not really. <laughs> now, especially not with this coast. So now when I'm traveling to, uh, to California or we will go to Colorado, it, it will be my first time traveling to these, these states. So that's exciting, too. Yeah, I was going to say, how much fun is that to, first of all, you're, you're getting a scholarship to play basketball, you're playing Pac, uh, Pac-12 level, you're all of that, but you get to see the country every time you go somewhere new. How, is that a lot of fun? It is a lot of fun. At home... My country is really small, so here when I can, can fly to games, that's, that's crazy for me. Like, I never imagined um, going to games in plane would be real. And here we charter and everything. So um, this, this is a great experience for me. We are so glad that <clears throat> life has brought you to us and, and Beaver Nation and the Oregon State family. You speak of it so well and with appreciation. Dominica Parova, our guest, as you grew up in the Czech Republic, how important was the game of basketball to you? Did you have a ball in your hands at a young age? And sort of when did a, the idea of coming to the United States to, to go to college and like you're doing now? But tell us a little bit about your background with basketball in the Czech Republic. Well, basketball was part of my life since, since I was born because my parents played basketball. So since I was baby, I was in the gym with them. Um, I had small basketball. And so then in like third grade, I started practicing with boys. So that was a little bit crazy. And I went through different clubs at home. And the idea of going to the United States uh, was what I knew here, the opportunity is bigger. So since I started playing Basketball, I was like, I want to go to the United States. And I did everything for so I can accomplish that goal. And now I'm here, yes. and I'm enjoying it so right. much. What, uh, Dominica, was there a time in which you were um, intimidated? In other words, you weren't sure how your game would, would play here against collegiate-level basketball here. Was there a time when that was the case and you broke through it? Or you were confident all the way from the very beginning? I would say I was confident from the very beginning. I knew this was my dream, and uh, I knew I did everything I could for it. 
and just working hard. Yeah. Sure. Dominica Perova, our guest here on the Joe Beaver Show. Now, Ron was gone with football, and I, I did one game for him, the Morgan State game, and you happened to have that particular day seven assists. Three was the next highest, and then a bunch of one assist games. So you busted out for seven assists in that ball game. So coaches know you have it in you. And then, of course, you know they know you've got your offense because of the 16 last week. So which is it when you're on the floor? Are you on the floor to distribute, or are you on the floor to score? Um, I would say I'm on the floor to create plays, but to score too. Um, it's, just, it's just playing basketball, finding open players or scoring when I'm open. Yeah. So I was just, just reading the defense and making the right plays. Dominica Parova, our guest. Dominica, I don't want to you – know, it's, it's never wise to – to generalize or stereotype per se, but I'm about to in this sense. Tad Boyle is the head men's basketball coach at Colorado. He is coaching the FIBA World Cup the last couple of summers in Europe. He came back from there marveling. He said, Europeans, now he's generalizing and I'm quoting him, but he said, the European basketball system emphasizes passing and cutting better than we do here. He said, we do too many things off the dribble in the United States. What the European style, he just says, generally speaking, is better in the, in the art of passing the basketball and moving and cutting. Now, those are big generalizations, but do you think Coach Tad Boyle may be right? I mean, do you feel like there is, that is a skill set in Europe that's really highly valued, passing the ball? Uh, I would agree that um, basketball and the style is a little bit different in Europe. Um, we were taught, um, like, we didn't have place. We didn't have any um, any place preferred until, like, the higher age. And so we were, we were taught to just cut, pass, um, and stuff like that. But um, I feel like it's different a little bit, but it's not a big difference. Um, especially when um, here in our team, we share the ball really well, mm-hmm. and everybody everybody uh, can do, uh, can score, can pass, can rebound, can do whatever. Right. So I feel like um, with the Beaver, it's not different in this team. Okay. Compared to Europe. Do you, uh, being so young and away from home and so far away, do you have to deal, or have you had any homesickness or gone through anything like that, or does? Cameras on phones and, and social media and directness and all that make up for some of that. <laughs> FaceTime is great thing. Um, I usually FaceTime them, um, and so they want to know how I'm doing. I want to know how they are doing, what's going on at home. But um, I would say first year, in my junior year of high school, it was the toughest start. Um, I was learning uh, how to take care of myself. And so now I'm kind of used to it, and the resources we have here, it's so much easier than in high school. So I would say um, the first year in the United States, I miss them the most. Last thing on basketball, and then we'll close in a sense with how excited, excuse me, you and your teammates are to be part of this weekend at Gill Coliseum. On defense, so yeah, I bet you are, Dominica. Let me ask you about defense real quick. We, Scott Ruick is a 
he is a, a t he's he pays attention to detail and is a taskmaster of sorts when it comes to demanding great defense. How does that compare with what you grew up with playing on the national team of the Republic in terms of Beaver defense, the way you're taught and expected to play? Is that something that's somewhat new to you, or did you play that way in the Czech Republic? Um, defense was highlighted to to me or my team, uh, even in Europe. But the competition there is, uh, or where I played, it wasn't that good like uh, as here. So um, the highlighting defense here is really important because the other teams are really, really good, and the defense wins the game. So. Um, I would say here it's more important and it's highlighted even more because the competition is really, really good. Mm -hmm. You said you are excited, you and your teammates. Great teams coming in, Colorado tomorrow night, and they're good. And how excited are you to play them and just to be back at Gill Coliseum this weekend? I'm, I'm so excited, my teammates are so excited. We are working hard. We are getting better each day. So we are just deciding to step out on the court again um, in front of the fans and just play great basketball. Is Gill Coliseum the most fans you've played in front of, at least on a consistent basis? Yes. There's so many fans. I have never, uh, I have never opportunity to play in front of that many fans. And I'm enjoying every minute of it. That's great. And, and how are you doing with school life and, and blending in and going to classes and making friends maybe? that Are, are you making friends that are not on the basketball team? <laughs> um, school, school is fine for me. I'm created a routine. So um, that was really important for me. So I can handle all the, all the practices and all the homework. But... Um, I'm doing great. <laughs> good, good. Dominica, it's been a real pleasure to meet you in this context. I've enjoyed following your career with the Beavers. Listening to you with Ron after the game the other night was a, a real enjoyable experience, too, as you helped the team pull that game out at Cal. You competed very well on Tara's big day at Stanford. So uh, we're excited to see you and the team keep it going. Thanks for making time for us today, Dominica. We hope to talk again someday. We appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much. Go Beefs. Go cool Beefs. Well there said. Minute and a half. We'll keep it here. Yes. Um, oh, great kid. Great kid. But I was looking at her stat line. Three assists and then one, 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 one. Seven. Right. One, 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 one. I'm like, okay, there's something here. Right. And that game is what, you know, just what they needed or whatever was happening. But that reminds me of the Roger Maris line. Yeah, you go through these numbers game. You know, <laughs> we used to play home run, the home run season, real yeah. off. I'd say, okay, whose career am I talking about? And I'd start 43, 39. 47. <laughs> oh, and, you know, that nice. would be uh, uh, Ted Klazuski or whatever. Yeah, we yeah. played that game. That's how much we we entertained ourselves. We lived rich and full lives. <laughs> you didn't have video games. That's how we played. That's the But you, you, with Roger, you'd go something like 17, 32, 39, 61, <laughs> 33, 26. And that's what you just did with right, the seven. That's right. Which number doesn't fit here? <laughs> exactly. So you're thinking, yeah. well, <laughs> we kind of want you to really concentrate on that. 61. <laughs>
He never hit 40 in any other year. That's what. Great Explain movie. Explain life Very to me. Movie. Explain life to me. How can that be? It's just, it happens. Yeah, I, Ken Go, great writer, he used to argue with me. He'd say, Roger Maris deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And I'd give him the whole 26, 33, <laughs> yeah, yeah, 61, yeah. 33, 30. I said, 26, 7. I said, Ken, it's, that's, that, they, the Hall of Fame is for sustained excellence. And he said, then call it the Hall of Sustained Excellence <laughs> because Roger's famous. We'll see you all tomorrow.